Hi, everyone. Tom Rogers here, Director of Teachers Talk Radio. Thanks very much for tuning in and listening to this show. This show is sponsored and supported by Witherslack Group, Collins Big Cat, and by Renaissance. We can't be more excited to be sponsored by these fantastic companies. Please check them out on their websites, which are available through our website at ttradio.org. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hello and good evening, and I'm here to kickstart your week. I'm really excited. Tonight in the Twilight Show, I will be talking about effective use of ed tech technology inside and outside the classroom with lots of top tips. I don't have a guest, but if you're listening live, join in and get involved. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, everyone, and I'm very excited for the show this evening. But before I start my Twilight show, I want to give a little shout out to the show that I did at the weekend. So my friend and the Teachers Talk director you've just heard from, Tom Rogers, we now host a Saturday morning show. And that alternates every other week when we're not on, Zoe Answer has her Saturday morning show. So if you miss that, please go back. You can listen to all our episodes as podcasts uh, and you can catch up on our conversation. It was a lot of fun. Uh, We talked about our teacher friendship. We also talked about international teaching because we both taught internationally. And then we had a debate about cognitive science and learning versus engagement. And anyway, despite our differences of opinions, we're still friends and we will be back (laughs) the week after next. But anyway, tonight, tonight's show, what am I talking about? Well, something that I feel really passionate about that perhaps people don't know about is technology. However, I'm also very realistic when it comes to technology. It's not a silver bullet. It can be a hindrance rather than a help. And obviously, we've had to embrace technology with online learning, remote learning, absences and all the challenges that we faced with the pandemic. So I will then try and look at a little bit about what does the research tell us about technology, technology in the classroom, technology outside of the classroom, students and technology, whether that's mobile phones, listening to music. And I'll also be sharing lots of fantastic websites and apps that some you may have heard of, some you might not have. And I'd like to hear your suggestions as well. So if there are any apps or quizzing tools or websites that's helped you with your planning or with homework or in-class delivery, then please do let me know. You can tweet me at katejones underscore teach or just comment in the Podbean app if you're listening live. But before I get to technology, I just want to touch upon something that I've tweeted about today. And I've mentioned this previously, 
um, a few times with previous guests. I've had Professor Daniel Mers as a guest. He's the former head of research at Ofsted, and he's incredible, very intelligent and insightful. And I spoke to him about how I've never experienced an Ofsted inspection because I've either taught in Wales or in the Middle East. So I describe myself as Ofsted neutral. And then I also had Robin McPherson, my co-author, and we spoke about the early careers framework in England and how that differs in Scotland and Wales. And again, today I've picked up on this point that, I'm, that I've talked to Professor Daniel Mers about and to Robin about, is about the differences, whether that's in policies, the inspectorate, the curriculum, the differences between Wales, England, Scotland and Northern Ireland. And I have been reading today and over the last few weeks, lots of brilliant books about curriculum. But I am noticing, and probably because I taught in Wales, that the emphasis is on the English curriculum and the emphasis is on Ofsted and the emphasis is on the early career framework. We don't have Ofsted in Wales and in Scotland and Northern Ireland. There is obviously an equivalent, but there are differences and similarities. Um, And it is a difficult one when you're writing a book because I've written um, six books and it's much easier to write about what you have experience of. But I, I think what I'm finding frustrating is the lack of recognition of the differences and the similarities. And I'm not quite sure how you would do that, whether it's possible, whether we have books that focus on the curriculum for Wales or the changes in Scotland, I'm not sure. But also I think this is a problem for international teachers as well, um, because internationally when schools have a British curriculum, what does that mean? Does that essentially mean an English curriculum, really? Because I can't imagine it referring to elements of the Welsh curriculum or elements of the Scottish curriculum. But again, I don't know. And I've taught, obviously, in an international school myself, so in a school that was a British curriculum. So I know what that curriculum was like. Um, And there were elements that were very similar to when I taught in Wales. And we followed an international GCSE exam boards that was different again so yeah I think this is interesting and um yeah we've had a comment in from Nathan saying about the Isle of Man the Child and Islands too and about this idea of a UK system um it, it is complex um they are unique and it's there's similarities and differences I think it's just the assumption or the or the fact that they're it's neglected. Um, when I did write The Teacher Life with Robin, we wanted to write about the early careers framework. Now, that's relatively new, and at the time of writing, it, it, there wasn't a, as much um, evidence or things that we could reflect on. We were really just writing about the policy. But then I realized, well, when I spoke to Robin about the early career framework and how that would be two years, and he said, oh, no, this is different in Scotland because Robin is a head teacher in Scotland. And I reached out to teachers in Wales who also said, no, it's still very different here. Uh, and then I researched Northern Ireland. So I actually did write about them all. And um, 
the teacher that I reached out to um, about, she's a mentor in Wales working with trainee teachers. She said it was really interesting to read how they do things in England and Scotland and Northern Ireland. The main differences probably were the terminology and the jargon and things like that. Um, but it, it was interesting. And I do think that we should have more of these discussions. And I asked Tom the other day, we're going to talk about Ofsted in an upcoming show because <laughs> he feels very differently about Ofsted than I do. And um, he's experienced Estin, the inspector, as in Wales. And I just don't feel that Estin has the same fear or so some schools and teachers really do quite like Ofsted and the direction they've taken, but others feel a lot of anger, resentment and fear towards Estin Ofsted, (laughs) towards Ofsted that I haven't seen in Wales. And you don't see tweets about Estin the way you do about Ofsted. So that's interesting in how they're doing things differently. But anyway, I won't rant about that. Please do um, let me know what your thoughts are. Perhaps if you're teaching in England, perhaps you just never thought about it, which is understandably so. But also, what about when teachers move across? So I live right on the border um, in North Wales, 20 minutes, and I'm in Chester. So and vice versa, teachers from Chester will teach in North Wales. So there are these things to be aware of. But maybe that's, maybe I should get um, some guests on who, who can talk about the similarities and the differences. Anyway, I'm now going to talk about technology. Um, In the past, I've had very mixed feelings about technology. And I think that stems from very early in my career, having a professional development target to become confident with the interactive whiteboard. And many teachers did become confident. Do you remember the interactive whiteboard or do you still have an interactive whiteboard at your school? Well, for me, it was an absolute nightmare. I think I did have training on it. I think it was once. And actually, I needed more training. And every time I tried to use the interactive whiteboard in my lesson, I just couldn't remember how to use it. Things went wrong. Explanations were taking twice as long. And I had my back to the class while I'm trying to fix the whiteboard. And then the class are talking. It led to behavior problems. It was just disastrous. And this was in the, as I've said, early years of my teaching career. And in terms of the professional development target, to see that I'd secured it and achieved it, I was observed in a lesson and I had to show that I could use a mini whiteboard. So when the lesson observation came, I used a mini whiteboard. And then after that observation, that box was ticked and I thought I'm never using it ever again. So I started off with actually quite a bad experience with technology in the classroom. I just thought it was absolutely disastrous. And actually when I worked um, in Wales, there wasn't much technology available. Um, There wasn't technology, certainly for students. We did not have a bring your own device policy. So I couldn't really be that creative. I had a teacher computer at my desk connected to the projector. So in terms of technology, I was using PowerPoints and slides. And I remember when (laughs) the the, um, local council said teachers could use YouTube because that was banned. And that was a bit of a revelation as well. 
Um, but then I went to teach internationally and there was a little bit more money and there was iPads for students in the class. And that was really exciting because I had these iPads with my students. I thought, what, what can I do? Um, and I think that's a problem when you do have that technology initially, that excitement of you just want to be using the technology and then you can create these either resources or students can create things online and they, they look wonderful, but actually the learning can get lost in that. Now, in terms of research, well, with online learning, there are so many variables we've had. Um, so what I mean by that is some schools have uh, worked in areas where students have not had laptops at home or they're part of a large family where they have one device per household and that's brought with it many challenges and also not having wi-fi or using data um, and then you have other schools like the one I worked at where every child had their own google chromebook and this was given to them before the pandemic Every child from the school, and it was part of the fees that they paid, and every member of staff had a Google Chromebook, and we were using Google Classroom. So actually, when we did go online, it was a difficult transition in many ways in terms of um, not being able to talk to our students face-to-face and so on. But we'd already been posting lesson resources and materials on the Google Classroom. Students knew how it worked, how to submit work. So we were in a really strong position. Um, and also as well, we were online, Key Stage 3, were online for over a year. Exam classes could come in. And then we had hybrid where students could choose if they stay at home or if they come in. So, as I've said, there's so many variables with remote learning and online learning. But in terms of the research, well, a few years ago, the Education Endowment Foundation, um, and this is a website if you're not familiar with, it's got lots of guidance reports, lots of research. All of these materials um, are free and really easy to access all online. So in 2019... Um, they published the EEF um, recommendations and guidance report for using digital technology to improve learning. So although this is a few years ago, I think there are some key fundamentals that are really important. So the first point from the EEF recommendations is for teachers to consider how technology will improve teaching and learning before introducing it in the classroom. So that actually then will need, teachers will need time to understand how the technology works, but also how will that support students and their learning so that it is actually a help and not a hindrance. We don't want to, and of course we will reflect anyway, but we don't want to find out after we've spent all this time on a project that actually it's not very helpful at all. And we didn't need technology in the first place. Um, the second point is technology can be used to improve the quality of explanations and modeling. Even a visualizer, this is very simple, doesn't have to be very expensive. Some teachers say they cannot imagine teaching without it because they use their visualizers um, for 
worked examples, modelling, scaffolding, reading exemplars, just very simple, basic technology that can be very effective. The third point, technology offers ways to improve the impact of pupil practice. So, and, and this also goes on to elaborate that this could be inside or outside of the classroom, but something that we need to be very mindful of in terms of improving the practice is, and this comes back to the work of Dylan William, who I'm often <laughs> quoting, and Dylan William writes about improving the learner, not just a piece of work. So if an online um, tool, or such as Grammarly or a spell checker, well, that will improve that document and that piece of work. But the, the student hasn't necessarily improved in terms of their literacy skills. So that is something that we do really need to be careful of in terms of um, the impact and the improvement and that it's not just masking something that actually does need to be addressed. And then four, technology can play a role in improving assessment and feedback. Absolutely. And I write and talk about retrieval practice all the time. And I'm a big advocate for using technology for this. Loads of the quizzing apps and tools that I will suggest to you can provide instant feedback to the students, to teachers. And that's incredible. That is a workload, uh, positive and strength. It's great for the students. It's very clear. It's very quick. Really, really helpful. Oh, hi. We have a comment from Karen saying she is obsessed with her visualizer. Yes, Karen, do tell me what subject do you teach and how do you use your visualizer? I'd be really keen to hear more about that. So anyway, yes, I've looked at the EEF and I will tweet out and share the link, but you can go to their website and you can read those about those suggestions in a lot more detail. But staying on the theme of research, and yes, anyone can call into the show, feel free to call in Karen, um, you're very welcome. Um, carrying on the theme of research with technology um, it's definitely something that we need more of but there is research out there and a previous guest of mine oh the wonderful Paul Kirshner he is my edu hero and um, he's just amazing <laughs> um, he's written about something known as the butterfly defect and this refers to how students can easily wander off task when they're online and we need to be very careful when students do have devices um so this is just when they're let's say and that the classic sort of example of a ineffective way to use technology is to probably say go away find out this information um that opens up a real can of worms uh, in terms of and it's just really ineffective i have done that in the past because that's what i was encouraged to do to help students become independent and to find out information for themselves. But without my guidance and support and my expertise as well, I could just see that unraveled and it wasn't effective. Uh, an example I'll give about that was if, if I was to say something I can't remember, but I remember um, doing types of research tasks about find out about this individual. And if I just said, right, research Henry VIII and 
without success criteria, without clear guidance. There are some websites that are very primary based. There are some that are very academic. Uh, what is it I want my students to know about Henry VIII? Will they just go on Google Images and search pictures of him? Will they go off topic and start just researching about his wives? Will they even find out about the break with Rome? I've had that where students have done independent tasks and they've missed out a key component. Well, how could you not find out about the break with Rome? Well, actually, miss, you just said go away and research Henry VIII. So what happens with this butterfly defect that Paul Kirshner was writing about? So when students have a device and they're on Google or any search engine and they're looking for information, they get distracted. And this is actually what Paul Kirshner said about it, that learners at the computer behave like butterflies. They flutter across the information on screen, touch or do not touch pieces of information to quickly flutter to the next piece of information, never knowing the value of it and without a plan. Um, this butterfly deep, uh, defect happens on pages with many hyperlinks. Learners are seduced into clicking the links, often forgetting what they're looking for. And that happens to adults as well. When we click a hyperlink, it takes us somewhere else and then we're taken to another one and we just easily go off track. This can also happen with using online dictionaries. When a word is typed into a dictionary, a meaning is provided and actually they're not always student-friendly. They may have vocabulary in the meaning that the student doesn't understand so then they go and click on that word and find it in a dictionary and then that just keeps happening until they've forgotten what the original word is that they were searching for. So actually, when it comes to independent learners, that really should be at the final stages of a topic or, or with older students, but even then, not something that we do early on. Not go and find out information, come back, feed it back to me. This is really where the teacher has to plan and think very carefully about the information and also we we take our time planning a curriculum and lessons why would we just lose all of that control to say go online see what you can find out so that's about students um using the internet to search for information and how problematic that can be we've also got a lot of research about mobile phones and there's been big debates about this there are some schools that simply cannot afford technology for all of their students as much as they would like to. So they say, bring in your own device uh, where students can use their own, they can connect to the Wi-Fi and so on. And again, that could be really problematic. You can have students on phones, iPads, laptops. They could all have different software, different accessibility. It's really, really difficult. But then also the issue with phones and screen time it's becoming worse and worse, I think, and probably the pandemic hasn't helped, and I'm very aware of my own screen time. But research, and you can read more about this actually on the Inner Drive website, innerdrive.co.uk. But research has shown that the mere presence of a mobile phone can lead to a 20% reduction in attention, concentration, and performance in tasks that were demanding and complex. So that research is from 2014. That's not even saying being on a phone. That's saying 
the mere presence of a mobile phone. So even if a student isn't on their phone, but perhaps it's in their pocket or it's on the desk or they're at home, it's the presence of a phone that reduces attention, concentration and performance in tasks that are demanding and complex. And also there was another survey which recorded about 50 to 70% of increase in internet use during the COVID-19 pandemic. And that 50% of that time was spent engaging on social media. And that research is from 2020. But research has shown that students that attended a school that banned mobile phones received on average a 6.4% increase in their exam results. And this is pre-COVID. This is nothing to do with teacher assessed grades. That was 2015. So actually, the research is quite overwhelming, really, that mobile phones, whilst of course there are benefits of having a mobile phone, being able to communicate with parents when they need to, connecting with friends outside of school. Of course, there's lots of benefits. We'd be fools not to recognize that. But in school and in education, it actually the research is pointing us in the direction that phone shouldn't be there. And this actually following in the footsteps of Emmanuel Macron in France saying, no, we're not having phones in schools. These, this is a time to detox. And a really difficult thing about screen time is that if students have their own devices in school and they're using their laptops in lessons in secondary school and when we because we have like I said we had the google chromebooks I don't know if my students have been writing or using the chromebooks in the lesson before I could ask that as they arrive to my lesson but actually my lesson probably is well it will be planned I don't know if they're going to use the Chromebooks all day that day. So shall I give them a screen break or they have another screen breaks? And then also, I don't know how much screen time they're having at home. And often their parents don't know about their screen time in school. The only people who do know about their screen time are the students themselves. And what was interesting when I spoke to some students, um, when we were online, as I said, online for a year, And when we had Zoom lessons that were live, oh, they were exhausting. Zoom fatigue is real. And when it was their lunch breaks, they weren't having a screen break because they weren't with their friends. So they were messaging their friends on their lunch breaks, texting and Snapchat and so on. So they saw it as a break because they weren't doing schoolwork and they weren't on Zoom. But it was just another way to use screens. Um, yes, we've got Dorian uh, commenting about the salmon model, um, whether you're using technology, where is it a substitution? So, for example, writing on a Word doc, um, can, can that be done? Can it be something that can be done on paper? Is it just the same, but it's just a substitute or augmentation and modification? Um, these are where, oh, well, actually, we're using it online so we can have a collaborative doc, so we can have interactive feedback, things that we that are easier to do with technology and then redefinition is basically doing things that would not be possible if it wasn't for technology so that is the salmon model and there's lots and lots uh, of research there's also the tpac model um for anyone who's not familiar with that 
actually started off as the PCK model. And this was by Lee Shulman in 1986. And I always remember that because I was born in 1987. <laughs> so I think, oh, this research is just before my time. And Lee Shulman, um, when he was writing about this, he was writing in a specific paper about his frustration that he felt because at the start of the 20th century, teachers were tested on their subject and content knowledge. And that had to be really strong and secure. And of course, we all know that's very important. But there is more to teaching than that. A teacher has to be able to communicate clearly that content knowledge and support students and explain it in a way that students will make progress and they will learn. So therefore, we have pedagogy. But then in the 80s, things had changed and all of the focus was on the pedagogy. And then the subject content knowledge was neglected. And Shulman has said the sweet spot has to be in the middle, that teachers should have strong pedagogical and content knowledge, PCK. And I, I still think that's really important now. Then a few years later, 2006, well, quite a bit later, uh, Mishra and Kohler built on Shulman's model and they created the TPAC model and they added another dimension which was teachers need to have good technological knowledge and actually when you think about it 2006 as I said the technology would have been really limited um an overhead projector <laughs> a computer powerpoint certainly not to the point we were at now so I think the TPAC model is more relevant now than it's ever been. Now then, I built on that model again with the TPAC, with the double C model, where I said, yes, teachers have absolutely got to have their subject content knowledge. They've got to have knowledge and understanding about pedagogy. They've got to have knowledge about technology in order to use it effectively in the classroom. But they should also have knowledge about cognitive science, psychology, how memory works, and so on. And if I give you the example, actually, of designing a retrieval practice quiz that is effective, well, in order for me to write the questions, I've got to have good subject content knowledge. Um, in order for me to actually create an online quiz and know how to set it and to check the answers, then I've got to have the technical knowledge. Uh, te <laughs> technological knowledge to do so then I think right I'm going to use this quiz at the start of my lesson as a do now task as a settler task as well as part of my learning routine that comes from my pedagogical knowledge but then I'm also doing it as a low stakes quiz it's not a formal assessment it's a low stakes learning assessment sorry learning task not formal assessment to help students improve their long-term memory, and that is cognitive knowledge. So that sweet spot is having all of those. And actually, I'm, I'm quite confident to say, yes, I can create a quiz because I've got good knowledge of the topics I'm teaching. I know how to use online quizzing tools. I know about retrieval practice, and I know when in the lesson would be a good point to do that. So there we go. We've covered quite a lot already and it's, oh, half six I've been <laughs> talking. Uh, we've covered what the EEF says um, 
about technology and their suggestions. We have covered the butterfly defect and how if we leave students to their own devices when searching on the internet and finding that information, they will easily become distracted, off topic, and forget what they originally started. We've looked at the research about mobile phones, that the presence of a mobile phone can have a really negative impact on attention, concentration, and performance. There's been, unsurprisingly, an increase in screen time with young people, with 50% of that screen time being, well, probably more than, yeah, it was 50% reported to be social media. And schools that banned phones found that students received on average 6.4% increase in their exam results. Now, the other thing in terms of technology and the research and questions I get asked from teachers, parents and students is what about listening to music? Now, I love music and I like to have music when I'm on the go or listening to something like Teachers Talk Radio. Um, And I like it whether I'm on the train or whether I'm exercising or walking. I really enjoy music and I, I hope my students do too. It can have lots of benefits. However, when it comes to studying and listening to music, the research is actually quite clear. So students who revised in quiet environments performed over 60% better in an exam than their peers who revised listening to music that had lyrics. Now, students who revised whilst listening to music without lyrics did better than those who listened to music with lyrics, but still the students who revised in a quiet environment did better. So there are definitely benefits to listening to music. That's why we listen to music at the gym. It can energize us and motivate us. But actually, when it comes to studying, no, that's not the time. And students will say, oh, I work better with music. And that's another misconception they have about their own learning. And it can be difficult because when they say, oh, honestly, I know how I learn and this is what works for me. We really do have to challenge that and explain, well, that is not true. Um, and also, years ago, there was this thing, the Mozart effect, was if you know if you played classical music to a young child or even a baby in the womb, or that they would you know automatically be intellectual and do better in school, well, that's been well and truly debunked as well. So that's what the research has to tell us. Oh, I've been talking for a while. So what we're going to do now is I'm going to head over to the news in a moment. But when I get back, so stay tuned, don't go anywhere. I will be sharing my favorite websites and apps and recommending some websites that I think you should definitely check out. So over to the news. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Are you looking to take your phonics practice forward? Then Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised is the programme for you. 
created by two schools with an excellent track record in phonics. Little Wondle Letters and Sounds Revised will help all children become readers and ensure no child is left behind. The programme offers complete support for your phonics teaching, alongside classroom resources and fully decodable readers from Collins Big Cat. To find out more, follow at Letters Sounds on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram or join a free briefing by visiting littlewondelettersandsounds.org.uk. Whatever learning looks like this year, bring lessons to life with Nearpod. An exciting new addition to the Renaissance family, Nearpod offers real-time insights into student understanding through interactive lessons and videos, gamification and activities, all in a single, easy-to-use platform. To help kickstart the new year, we're offering all primary and secondary schools in the UK and Ireland full free access to Nearpod for the whole spring term. So, no matter what 2022 brings, Nearpod makes switching between in-class and remote teaching simple. Visit www.renlearn.co.uk forward slash Nearpod and sign up for your free trial today. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common, a passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are with a Slack group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. In Wales, a cross-party Senate committee report has said 38% of councils do not have enough childcare for disabled children anywhere in their area. The government in Wales has said that work is underway to expand funding. Mags, a mother of a seven-year-old with autism, told BBC Politics Wales that multiple settings have told her that they could not provide the care he needed and she struggled to find funding. She said... I've got comments of this is not the right setting for him or this is not the right setup for your child. It is a constant struggle to feel like you are doing the best for your child. The Welsh Government said, We provide more than £1.5 million a year in support of children with additional needs within the childcare offer and grants of up to 10000 are available to make settings accessible. This year, we have also allocated £5 million for local authorities to create accessible play opportunities. In Scotland, the Education Secretary, Shirley Ann Somerville, has been asked to explain how exams can be held fairly, following the news that one in eight pupils were absent from school last week. There were 32,000 pupils absent from school for COVID-related reasons in Scotland on Wednesday. Nearly 2,500 teachers were also absent from work. 
Ms Somerville has said that she will provide extra support for pupils who have missed school, but exams will go ahead. National fives and hires in the spring will only be cancelled if COVID makes it impossible for pupils to gather in exam rooms. Larry Flanagan of the EIS Teachers Union said it was essential that students were treated fairly and not disadvantaged by COVID isolation. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, as we approach Safe Internet Day next week, it's the 8th of February, if you didn't know, I'm going to take a look at keeping yourself safe as a teacher. I'm not going to go into your digital footprint or how you use social media. That's been covered in your safeguarding training, no doubt, and should be common sense. There is, however, a real grey area when it comes to teachers and using their phones in school. Before a start, all schools should have a policy on mobile phones, and you should have read it. I suggest, if you're not sure what it is, then you find out. There is DFE guidance for searching, screening and confiscating for pupils. For staff, policies in schools range from SLT having different rules to other staff so they can be contacted, to phones must be switched off or on silence when pupils are present. Some are even introducing a smartwatch policy as they become increasingly more popular. The first step to keeping yourself safe is to make sure you know what is expected in your school, as it's the individual schools that decide and there is no official guidance. The next step is a choice. Images, still or moving, are a great way to evidence work and to feedback to pupils. If your policy allows it, using your phone is the simplest way, as it's always with you. To give a real example, a PE teacher at a match doesn't need to remember to take the school camera and probably has a better camera on their phone anyway. But here's the dilemma. Should teachers have pictures of children on their personal phones? Again, school policy will dictate this and parents will have signed a form saying they give permission or not, so you're covered to take the picture, but the question still stands, should it be done on a personal device? This is where I feel the need to keep ourselves safe lies. How long do you keep the images on your phone? Are they automatically backed up into your personal cloud? How do you transfer from your device to the school storage? What if your phone's lost or stolen? I'm not here to provide an answer. I just want you to think about keeping yourself safe. If you take images on a school device, you avoid all of these issues. It may be a little more effort, but in the rare event of an allegation, it's a lot simpler to investigate. Please think about your use of personal devices in school. And if your policy isn't keeping up with what you're doing, consider raising it. For a visual version of this episode, check out the TT Radio 2020 Twitter feed. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. I always love those two minute tips from Steve Woods. Thank you so much. And yes, Gail Glenn, giving us news about the Senate in Wales, talking about Scotland. We're very inclusive here at Teachers Talk Radio. I'm very happy about that. Right then, so carrying on with EdTech inside and outside the classroom. Talked about the research, but now I'm going to give lots of practical tips and suggestions. So first of all, when it comes to retrieval practice and technology. Now, when it comes to retrieval practice, I have a mantra, low effort, high impact. Low effort is for the teacher in terms of planning, workload, feedback. If we're going to do retrieval practice every day, which we should, whether you're primary or secondary, then it has to be sustainable for teachers, hence the low effort. But retrieval practice is a very effective um, strategy to support 
long-term memory, learning and progress. So therefore, it should always have a high impact on student learning. So I have five, I don't know, rules or top tips when it comes to using technology for retrieval practice. My first point is to make sure that it's low state. So low stakes means that it's fun, it's enjoyable, it's not formal, it's not a test or a scary exam, but far from it. Now, I make this distinction with retrieval practice and technology because, as I said, the school I worked at, we were online for a year. We had end-of-year exams that had to be online. They were on a Google form across all subjects. They had a mark, they had a grade, it went on a report that went home to parents. Now, for Key Stage 3, it doesn't really get any more high stakes than that. And then, at a later date, when I used Google Forms for retrieval practice, my class assumed it was high stakes. They asked, would they get a grade? Would their parents know about it? Would it go on their report? So that's when I said to colleagues, let's have a distinction. Let's use it for summative assessments, formal assessments, because we found that it works very well for us. But there's loads of other tools that we can use that are low stakes. And some students, you might need to explain the low stakes nature because they perhaps won't grasp it or understand that it's low stakes. Imagine if you were a child and you thought you were being tested every single day in school, The, the worry and the fear But if you stress that it's low stakes and it's quizzing or even no stakes, um, many whiteboards are really low stakes because students rub off the answers. So there you go. If you've made a mistake, the teacher can go through it. You can erase the answer. So we just need to make sure technology is low stakes too. So first point, keep it low stakes. Second point, it must be workload friendly for teachers. If it's taken you hours to create an online quiz or market, I would advise against it. Um, I'm going to talk in a moment about my favorite online quizzing tool. And one of the reasons it's my favorite is because it's workload friendly. Now, the third point, which is probably the most important point, it links back to what I said before about TPAC. It has to be user friendly, user friendly for the teacher so that they can create a quiz, set a quiz, check the quiz, and user-friendly for the student. Now, students are using these online quizzing tools more than once. They'll become very familiar with it. How to use it becomes automatic. That frees up space in their working memory so that they can focus on reading the questions and recalling the answers. So user-friendly is very important. I also like online quizzing tools that allow variety with question design. So you can have multiple choice, but then you could have an open-ended answer or fill in the blank, or you can insert an image as a prompt or audio for MFL, for example. So my favorite online quizzing tool does all of those things. As you can tell, I'm excited to talk about it. But then we have to have variety, I think, with the technology. So I could use my favorite online quizzing tool every single lesson. And I do know some teachers do that. It's not something that I would do. And I've known students in the past where they've come to me and I've said, right, we're doing a Kahoot today. And they've said, oh, they've just gone from lesson to lesson, Kahoot, Kahoot. There's lots of great online quizzing tools out there. We can have variety and mix it up. Even if we use it regularly, we don't have to use it constantly. So they're my 
five tips. Um, keep it low stakes, workload friendly for the teacher, user friendly for the teacher and students, have variety with question design and variety with the tech. Now, here's just a few online quizzing tools um, that I'll suggest. And there's absolutely loads out there, um, but there's Mentimeter, and we've actually had a two-minute tech um, tip about Mentimeter in the past. So if you go to mentimeter.com, there is a free version that you can use, or you can pay an upgrade. I haven't paid. I use the free version. Mentimeter has multiple choice questions, open-ended questions. You can ask students for a keyword, and that creates a word cloud doesn't have to be for retrieval practice it could be for spellings or checking for understanding um, so mentimeter is very good but mentimeter is no stakes so what i mean by that is students answers are anonymous students get given a code they log into menti.com with that code they answer the question now the fact it's anonymous takes the pressure off the students they don't need to worry but that can be frustrating for the teacher and the student. The student might have written an answer that they're really proud of and they want the teacher to know that it's their answer. And the same, the teacher might feel, oh, I wish I knew which student wrote this or which student wrote this because that's incorrect. And a teacher can do that, but then that sort of changes the no stakes element. However, the fact it's no stakes, it does give the teacher a snapshot of the class's response and an overall view. So I don't use Mentimeter every lesson. I use it every now and then. And I do still find the fact that it's anonymous, I do still find it helpful. Um, we've also got well-known quiz and tool Kahoot. Um, that's improved a lot over recent years. I wouldn't use Kahoot for a while because they didn't get rid of the leaderboard and the leaderboard was always the same top three students and I felt that was quite demoralizing for the members of the class but Kahoot has upped their game and I like Kahoot a lot more now. Quizlet is absolutely great for digital flashcards. My school as I said we use Google Forms. Google Forms are great you can have multiple choice questions, open-ended answers and lots and lots of features. You can include an image, um, you can have links, it can mark it for you, you can add comments or Perhaps if you're Microsoft, you've got the same with Microsoft Forms. Um, Google Jamboard is a bit like having digital post-it notes um, where students can write their responses on. Uh, and again, you can anonymize it um, and that helps reduce the stakes. Um, there's Nearpod, there's Carousel Learn. Um, Carousel Learn, for anyone who's not familiar, this is based on the idea by science teacher and head of department, Adam Boxer, where he shared his retrieval roulette idea that was incredibly popular with teachers. And then now it's just been taken that step further. Uh, and you can explore that on the website. So there's loads and loads of online quizzing tools. And I'd be interested to hear if you use any of them, if you use any others. But now I'm going to talk about my favorite. And I always say this, I am not an ambassador for this company. <laughs> I don't have a, the Apple badge or any sort of branding like a lot of people um, interested in technology do. Um, 
I have no loyalties, affiliations. I don't get paid from any tech companies. So anything I suggest and recommend is purely based on my own classroom experiences, which I do think is important because I just think if people have a vested interest of a representative, as long as they make that very clear. So anyway, oh, Tom, can you, I don't know if you can do this. Can you give a drum roll sound effect? Do we have one? And I say Tom because he's the producer of my show today. Yay! Amazing. Thank you very much. Oh, yes. <laughs> my favorite online quizzing tool. Oh, we've got another. No. Oh! <laughs> Stop it now. <laughs> oh, dear. I've totally forgot what I was going to say. No, 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 I know. Look, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Quizzes. So quizzes.com is my favorite online quizzing tool. And I am talking about the free version, although, again, you can pay and get it upgraded. So the reason it's my favorite, it does all those things I've just said. It is very user-friendly. Oh, it's so, so easy for teachers and students to use. So even if, you know, you think you're a Luddite, you're not confident with technology, quizzes, trust me, you'll be absolutely fine. It's incredibly workload-friendly. There's a teleport feature where you can search all the public quizzes, and there's loads, absolutely loads, and you can take questions from other teachers' quizzes and put it in your own. So let's just say you type in a topic, whatever it is that you're teaching, you're teaching about the Romans and you want to have a quiz. You type in the search bar, the Romans, and then you can see all the other quizzes that are there. You select a quiz and you think, no, I don't want that question. We haven't covered it. That's not relevant. Doesn't matter. You don't have to. Oh, but the second question, that's a good question. Ping teleport it to your quiz but let's just say it's multiple choice and there's four options and one of them you think well that might cause confusion or I don't want to include that then you can still edit it so actually with a teleport feature you can take what's good and what's out there but you can also add your own create your own or even edit other people's questions it won't be edited on their quiz it will just be edited on yours um, there's so much variety. There's free recall, so where students can just write an answer, but of course you've got the multiple choice question. There can be a poll. You can have a fill in the blank. The audio is fantastic, as I said, as a listening task perhaps, um, for oracy, for languages. You can include images. You can include equations as well. You can import them. Absolutely amazing. And also in terms of workload, now retrieval practice isn't about scrutinizing the results because then it's not low stakes. But we should, of course, look at the results as well to see what our class can and cannot recall. So what quizzes does is it gives you this spreadsheet that is either green or red where the students got their answers correct or not. And it also will give you a class percentage overall score and that is really helpful because I've seen on quizzes where my class percentage has been 97% and I've thought to myself I need to make my quizzes more challenging but then on the other end of the spectrum I've had class percentages that are quite low and I feel oh that was a, a bit too hard 
So that's really, really helpful. You can download the results or it just saves it there for you, keeps a record. So really, really workload friendly. And the other thing why I've liked quizzes for years is because you can personalize it. So you can keep or remove features. There's music, you can remove it. And I always do because it's annoying. You can keep the leaderboard or you can remove it. There's all sorts of things that you can do. And there's flashcards as well with it. Um, Oh, I've just had so much fun. So my top tips for using quizzes is make use of the teleport feature. You can remove question timers, which depending on your class might be the best thing to do, and remove the leaderboard, which I always do. If you've got younger students, an image could be used as a prompt or as a clue. Great for maths with equations, great for languages with the audio clips. You can share the link directly with a colleague. So let's just say they're in your department or they teach the same year group. You've created a quiz, ping it to them. They can use it with their classes. You could share it directly to Google Classrooms or Microsoft Teams. So it's really, really good. So for those reasons alone, that's why quizzes is my favorite. Now we're coming towards the end of the show. Oh, three minutes. There's two more websites I do want to recommend. Freerice.com. And the thing with freerice.com is there is it helps improve vocabulary, but for every correct answer, a grain of rice is donated. Um, so the uh, this is just really good. I heard about this um, through a friend of mine, actually, who we talked about on the Saturday show called Chris Mayo. And through the World Food Programme, um, it's about supporting children, but also trying to end hunger and poverty around the world. So I've just got up a question now. And the question is, begin means, and then it gives you an option to select. Does it mean hide, injure, start, contain? I press start. There we go. I'm correct. A grain. Oh, sorry. 10 grains of rice, not a grain. That's even better. 10 grains of rice. So that's just fun, bit of vocabulary, but also links in with wider geopolitical issues that you could talk about. And then there is another one. Oh my goodness. I don't know if you're familiar with this. Um, <laughs> but there's a website called Help Save the Endangered Pacific Northwest Tree Octopus. And there's lots of information about the Pacific Northwest Tree Octopus. Um, there's photos, there's a link that you can make donations for, and it looks very professional. And of course, there is no such thing as the Pacific Northwest tree octopus, so therefore they're not going extinct. But it's a good activity to show students about how not everything on the internet can be reliable. And actually, if you just Google the Pacific Northwest tree octopus, the second website down will tell you that this was a hoax. So this also show students how they should fact check as well when they are online. So I've got one minute left. I've really enjoyed this. I hope you've taken lots of things um, away from this. Oh, one more website is pixabay.com. P-I-X-A-B-A-Y. You can get high quality copyright free images to use in your lessons and with your students. But before I go, I want to say there is another show happening very soon at eight o'clock tonight with my friend Tom Rogers. 
And there's already been quite a lot of discussion about this on Twitter. Um, there's an interview with Phil Beadle um, about marking and feedback. And I've seen snippets of it. So trust me, that show is not to be missed. So I am joined next week by a guest and I will be back next Monday. Thank you so much for listening. And if you're listening back, then please do get in touch with us at TT Radio 2022. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.